Well, good morning. Let's give our, our orchestra and our choir another round of applause, would you? Thank them for staying for both services. That was really nice of them. I want to welcome you, and I want to wish all of you a happy 4th of July weekend. And I know you're going to be celebrating in the next couple of days, so be careful, but enjoy this time. And if you're a guest here this morning, boy, we especially want to welcome you. We want you to know, you know what, we really appreciate our veterans. We appreciate those who have served for us in the armed forces, and, and we, we love to be able to, to thank them publicly like this. So you saw the line, and I think we had 260-some in first service that came, and again, we just want to honor our veterans and those that have served, and so let's give them one more round of applause, can we? All right. I love this weekend because everybody sings a little louder. It's like when they stand up, uh, sometimes it's like, this is, this is my home, we're celebrating it, and we stick our chests out and we just sing a little bit louder. I love this weekend because this is the only weekend when I walk in, everybody's standing and clapping. <laughs> now what I want to do this morning is, I want to just remind you, I want to go back just for a minute to a song that we sang right after the national anthem, and it was God Bless America. I love to be up front here and listen to you sing that because it seems like that song has real meaning to you. I'll bet probably most of you didn't even have to look at the words on the screen because you know that song. And how does it end? God bless America, my home sweet home. I don't know if you realize this, but did you know that many people, a large majority in the United States consider that our second national anthem. Did you realize that? This song was written by a man by the name of Irving Berlin. And the person that made it famous in 1938 was a woman by the name of Kate Smith. Now, Irving Berlin wrote this song because all he wanted to do was he wanted to thank a country who had provided him a home. That's why he wrote it. But what I want you to understand is that that song, that hymn, that anthem has become so much more to this country. You see, that anthem is a sign of patriotism. And it was the song, God Bless America, that helped our country crawl out of what was known as the Great Depression. But you also need to know that God Bless America was also that song, that, that anthem that we held on to through World War II. It not only gave us that, that, that power, that strength that we needed to begin that war, but it sustained us all the way through. And you know what? Some 70 years later, it was that song, God Bless America, that unified a country that was feeling broken and defeated after the attacks of 9-11. America has always ha had a song, something that would inspire us to take that next step, even when we didn't think we could. I want to share with you a story that happened on September 11th, 2001. 
after the attacks of that day, and I'll bet that everyone that was alive on that day, you can remember exactly when you, where you were when, that, when those attacks happened, can't you? I mean, right now, you can picture yourself in that place. I'm the same way. I know exactly where I was when the attacks took place. At the end of the day, when the dust was beginning to settle, the story is that a large group of individuals, both men and women, gathered on the United States Capitol, and they formed a circle on the stairs. They were called congressmen and congresswomen. And you know what was really neat about this particular group? It was a large group, but it was made up both Republican and Democrat. The story is, is that as they were gathered together on the Capitol steps, that one of the leaders said, let's bow our heads in a moment of silence to remember all of those people who lost their lives today in that horrible attack. Everybody bowed their head and it was silent for about 30 seconds. And then something happened. Somebody started humming, God bless America. Within seconds, two things happened. The first thing, one, is people started joining in to where they were no longer humming it, but they were singing it. And the second thing that has happened is people from both sides of the aisle, whether you were a Democrat or Republican, they started grabbing a hold of one another's hands. And by the end of the song, they were all singing at the top of their lungs. God bless America, my home sweet home. That seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? And today, I'm not even sure we have people who want to be unified anymore. I think we like being on our side. And the desire to come together is not even something that anybody cares about. Maybe this is a time Maybe this is a song, once again, that will take a country and bring it together once again so that we can all sing together, my home sweet home. Amen? Stand with me out of respect for God's word. As I read from Hebrews chapter 13, and I'm just going to read one verse. And do not forget to do good. Oops, excuse me, wrong verse. Just check in to make sure you're listening. <laughs> For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, the old hymn goes, I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Want to hear some exciting news? 
We've got an election coming up in a little over a year. Oh boy, right? <laughs> Aren't we excited about that? We know what's funny about these elections is this. Have you noticed how, once again, there's a phrase that keeps surfacing? And the phrase is this, let's make America great again, right? Now, here's what I want you to, 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 to understand about this. Whenever I hear that phrase, make America great again, what I want you to know is that in my mind, there's something that tells me, well, all they're simply saying is, is that it's another way of saying that we're not in a good place right now. In fact, our country's going in the wrong direction. Well, here's what I want you to understand, my dear friends. That phrase, make America great again, is nothing new. There's no individual that all of a sudden thought up this phrase. Hey, let's make America great again. In fact, you can go back to 1980, the 1980 presidential election, and guess what you will hear? You will hear the phrase, let's make America great again. You know what makes me think about this is that, here's what I learned from this, is that history has a habit of repeating itself. Back in 1980, America wasn't very great. And guess what? Here we are again. And guess what? America's not very great again. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it amazing how this nation, that we have this desire that we want to be great, but we're great for a while, and then we fall, and then we're bad for a while, and then it's just kind of this up and down type of a flow. But what I want you to understand this morning is, is what does it really truly mean when we say make America great again? Well, here's what I want to suggest to you this morning. If we've been great for a while and then we've gone the other direction for a while, I want to suggest to you this morning that maybe, just maybe, that what we think, the place that we think is going to make us great isn't what makes us great. Or could it be not just the place, but maybe it's the things or the desires that we're looking for that we think are going to make us great aren't really making us great. For example, steady economy, a strong military, lower taxes, secure borders. This is what everybody is telling us. If we have these things and many others, we will be great again. Israel was in the same predicament. The children of God wanted to be a great nation. So what I want to show you this morning is I want you to see how they characterized it. Watch very carefully here. Now, this story takes place when Samuel is one of the judges. He is the one that God would speak to, and then he would deliver the news to the people and vice versa. Now, look at what this says here in the Scriptures. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be, we will be like all the other nations. 
with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. So I want to make sure that everybody understands what Israel is saying. Israel is saying, we want to be a great nation, and what will make us great is a king. Now, I want you to hear how God responded to this. Because God says to Samuel, and this is what he says to them. He says, Samuel, give them everything they want. For they are rejecting me and not you. Did you hear that? God said they are rejecting me and not you. Now, my friends, what I want you to hear loud and clear is this. The children of Israel, God's own people, believed that what would make them great was that they would look like the rest of the world. You see, they wanted a king so they could look like everybody else. But here's what I want you to understand. They weren't supposed to look like everyone else. God said to them, you are a holy nation. You are a holy people. You are set apart, and you are set apart to be a model nation. Well, what does that mean? It simply means this. It means when the rest of the world looks at you, when the rest of the world sees how you obey the Lord your God, and when the rest of the world sees how God blesses you and how God takes care of you, that's what it means to be a model nation. The rest of the world is supposed to look at you and to see how you are putting God in his rightful place and how God takes care of you, and their desire then would be to want to be a part of you. But that's not what the people thought. The people said, no, we want a king, and we want a king because we think what's going to make us great is we need to look like the rest of the world. Let's stop for a second. Let me just ask you this question. So where in the world did this desire to be a great nation come from? Who coined the phrase great nation? Let me show you. It's in Genesis chapter 12. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand the desire to be great is in our DNA? Who coined the phrase? The Lord God did. It was God who said, I will make you, remember he's talking to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. So naturally, what does Abraham want to do? He wants to be a great nation. Now, before we get on any further, I think there's another question that we need to ask, and the question is this. So what does God mean by a great nation? What, what do you think it is that God would characterize that a nation would have that is great? Well, here's what he tells us here. The first thing is this. Number one is that it would be a nation that would be blessed. You ever ask for God to bless you? I do all the time. I need God's blessing. This day is a blessing. You are a blessing. The person sitting next to you is a blessing. That little baby in your arms is a blessing. We want God to bless us, and God says, if you are a great nation, you will be blessed. Here's the next thing. You would have a great name. 
In other words, there are other people that would know about you because you are a nation who is blessed. So the story that comes to my mind is this. Remember Rahab? What was Rahab? Remember what she was? She was a prostitute. And you remember she was in the city of Jericho and she hid the spies. Do you remember that? Do you remember in the conversation between the spies and Rahab what she said to them? This is what she said to them. She said, we have heard about your God and all of our leaders are afraid. You see, they didn't have texts, they didn't have phones, they didn't have, they didn't have newspapers or anything like that, but boy, the word sure got around quick. Why? Because people were spying on the people of Israel and they were seeing how their God was taking care of them. And because of this, Israel's popularity and fame began to grow. But there's one other thing that God said is about a great nation. Here's what it is. It would be a blessing to other nations. Now, let me just ask you something. Doesn't it feel good when you can be a blessing to someone else? You know, we should ask God, God, bless me so that I can be a blessing to others. Sometimes my children will say, and maybe we'll go out to eat or something like that, and, and I'll pay for it. And they'll say, oh, you don't have to pay for it or whatever. And I go, no, 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 no. I want to pay for it. God has blessed me, and now I want to bless you with how he's blessed me. God says, these are the three characteristics that you will find in a great nation. All right, now, those three promises... You know what was the determining factor on whether or not God would meet these three promises? It was the faith of a man by the name of Abraham. And what I want you to remember is there was an event. There was an event that happened in Abraham's life that secured that these promises would be fulfilled. Do you remember what it was? It's recorded in Genesis 22. Remember what happened there? God came to Abram back then and he said to him, he said, I want you to take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Do you remember that story? Watch what happens here. I swear by myself, okay, this is God talking. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Wow. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Do you realize what God is telling us is this? When we put God in his rightful place, the result are the promises. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, Pastor Bob, that's a long time in the Old Testament. Thank you for asking that question because here's what I want you to know. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament understood, believed, and taught that the promises of God that were given to Abraham extend to all people who are in Christ. Here's the proof, my friends. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Now, aren't you glad that it doesn't stop right there? 
Now look what happens here. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in this flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Do you understand what the Lord is saying here? Here's what he's saying. The blood of Christ makes you an heir to the promises of God. I don't know about you, but man, that makes me feel good. The blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross makes me an heir to the promises of God. Now, my friends, I need to remind you that there's another side to this coin. Yes, there are promises, and God even says, and he goes above and beyond the promises, but there's another side of this coin, and that coin is the curses. And this is what God says. He says, when you remove me from my rightful place in your life, 1960s, prayer taken out of schools. When you remove me from my rightful place, in the 80s, the commandments went. When you remove me from my rightful place, the curses will come. And the curses will come because of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the world. When you want to look like the world, the curses will come. I didn't say that. God's word did in Deuteronomy 28. Now, here's the kicker, ladies and gentlemen, and I hope you will grab this. When God is talking about making us into a great nation, he is not talking about a country. He's talking about a people. I want to say that again. When God's talking about making a great nation, he's not talking about a country being brought up. He's talking about a people. Look at what it says here in 1 Peter. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people, a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, here's what I want you to hear this morning. And I tell you this because you need to hear the truth, and so do I. The United States of America, no, scratch that. The state of Kansas, no, forget that one. Wichita, now let's even forget that one. Our neighborhood, our community needs for you and I to live out our calling. 
Our calling is not to look like the rest of the world. Did you hear me? Our calling is not to look like the rest of the world. You know what our calling is? Here's what it is. It's wherever God places you, shine your light for Jesus. So that means you may be a mom at home. That's where God placed you. Shine for Jesus. You may be in finances at a company. Shine for Jesus. You may be without a job right now, and you're going around looking and making applications. Shine for Jesus. You may work in a health club. Shine for Jesus. You may work in a bail bonds. Shine for Jesus. You may work in the cafeteria. Shine for Jesus. Maybe you're a nurse. Maybe you're a doctor. I don't care what you are, but our calling in life is simply this. Whatever you do, wherever you are, just simply shine for Jesus. And here's why. The world needs to know that we still worship the God that we believe in. And here's why. Right now, there are cars driving up and down Maple Street. And when they glance into our parking lot and they see all of your cars, even if they don't believe, listen very carefully, even if they don't believe, you give them a sense of security. What's the security? Of knowing that you are living what you say you believe. You see, my friends, our world needs us. Do you understand that? We're their hope. And as long as we continue to be a church and join all the other churches in Wichita and all in this community, in this nation, and in this world, if we would just simply be the church that God has called us to be, we give them hope. Because when Jesus comes again, guess what? Hope is over with. It's done. And I don't know about you, but I know that part of my calling is, along with your calling, is to live my life in a way that it points people to Jesus. And when I can, take as many as I can with me to heaven. Now, there are some people who are going to balk at me. There are some people that just will never believe, and that's okay. We're not going to force it down their throat, but I will tell you this, we are going to become a force. And we're going to do it in a way not to where we're trying to run people over, but by the way we believe and by the way we live, that's how we're going to be seen. And in central community, this is what it's going to look like. We're going to strengthen families. We want the world to know that we believe in marriage. We want the world to know that marriage was given to us by God, it was instituted, it was created by God, and he makes the rules, not me. 
we're also going to invest in the family. We want to strengthen the family, and not just the, the traditional family. I'm talking about all family. I'm talking blended family. I'm talking about foster kids. I'm about all, anything. We have to strengthen our family. Why is that so important? Because the devil's going after our kids. But you know what else we need to do? We need to unite the generations. We need to have those who are older and in their 80s conversing and having conversations with those who are in their teens and their 20s and their 30s and even younger. We want to be a church where the people come together and we unite with one another. But you know what else we want to do? We need to be a church that's known for, man, those guys really take care of the body. And what I mean by that is they take care of one another. You know what? Can you imagine what will happen when someday maybe you and your life group and you go and you visit somebody in the hospital and what you don't remember or don't realize is that there's another person in the bed just on the other side of the screen and they hear how much we love one another. Who doesn't want to be a part of that kind of love? But there's something else that we're going to do as a church. We're going to be steadfast in what we believe. And we're going to grow in our faith. We're going to grow deeper in our faith. In August, we're going to start a brand new series on the book of Jonah. And one of the things that I'm going to do when we do that four-week series is I'm going to teach you how to become evangelists. You know, a lot of you are thinking, honey, did you hear that? We're not going to church in August. No, that's not what I mean, okay? Because a lot of people will say this, but Pastor Bob, evangelizing, sharing my faith, that's, that's not my gift. It doesn't have to be your gift, but it is your responsibility according to the Bible. And all I want to do is I just want to give you three or four tips that you can use. Can I share with you what it looks like? So this last week, the pastors and I, we were in Tampa for our Church of God convention. One night, Pastor George and Pat and I went out to eat. And we were just sitting there, and the waitress came up to us, and there was just something that just kind of pricked at my conscience. And so I said to her, I said, I said, ma'am, I said, what's your name? She said, my name is Alexa. I said, hi, Alexa. I said, my name is Bob. This is George, and this is Pat. And I said, Alexa, um, we're going we're gonna to pray before our meal here in just a little bit. Is there anything that we could pray for you about? It was silent. I quick looked at her eyes, and I saw the water. And I thought, oh, dear Lord, you're working and she said to me, she said, it's funny that you should say something to me like that because I'm about ready to give up on my dreams. I said, tell me about it. And she began to share about that she had this dream. She had moved to Florida and nobody thought that she was going to be able to do it. But when I asked her if we could pray for her, all of a sudden she just got a little spunky. Afterwards, boy, we got the best service too. Afterwards, she just came up to me. She just put her hand on my shoulder and she said, you don't know what this, what this conversation did for me. She said, I will never forget how, as you say, God came and spoke to me. I'm going to go after my dream and I'm going to do it with everything I can. And in those moments when it gets hard, I'm going to look up. That's all it is. 
it's not our responsibility to bring them to the Lord. It's our responsibility just to share with them what God is doing in our life and then watch him work. My dear friends in Christ, God is calling us as a church to step up. I'm just telling you. And our world needs us because if we're not here, our world's in deep trouble. I remember about three or four years ago, they asked me to do the prayer at the Wichita City Commission. And I went in there and they introduced me. This is Pastor Bob Beckler at Central Community. And one of the commissioners said, oh, we know who he is. Well, we know who his church is. That's the church at Thanksgiving that helps all of those who don't have meals in Wichita. I'll never forget that conversation. You know why? Because our actions spoke to our leaders that we are a church that cares. That's the last thing that we want to continue to do as a church. We want to love our community well. And you know how you love your community well? Radical hospitality. It's what the Bible is all about. So my dear friends in Christ, I want you to be reminded, I'm very thankful for the United States. This is the place that I live, but I need you to hear me when I say this. This is not my home. Just like you, I'm an ambassador. I'm a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, sent from him, from heaven, to this place. And my responsibility and your responsibility is just to shine our lights and when and as often as we can, tell as many people as we can about how good the Lord Jesus Christ has been in our life. And if we do that, if we continue to do that, we are going to make such a big difference in this community. So I want to ask you, will you join me in this endeavor? No, I'm asking you. Will you join me in this endeavor? So right now, we've got a group of young people, Pastor Jordan and, and Morgan are taken outside of our state, and they're going to be shining for us. Pray for them during the week, okay? All during the week, that God would just watch over and protect them and give them the words to say, and that they would be a difference. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this day. Lord, we love you. And we know, Lord, that it's pretty obvious that our world maybe is going in a direction that... Uh, we didn't think it was going to go, but I'm reminded of what you say in Psalm 139, which is, is before everything came to be, before even one day came to be, you already knew everything. It was already in place. Thank you, God, that you're not surprised. And so, Father, today, we make our plans, but you know that you will order our steps, and we're okay with that because we know that your way is better than ours. Use us, Father. Nourish our hearts so that our lights will burn bright for you. And whenever and wherever we can, let us burn for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Would you please stand? And I want to give you the benediction, the power that you need, the strength that you need as you go out into the world. And I would encourage you, ask the Lord sometime today. Father, show me how you want to use me this week. Put me in a place in somebody's path to where I can have an opportunity just to shine like Jesus. And when you need to, you can use words. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his joy, and his strength. God bless you. Have a great week. See you next week. Thank you again.